Hey, everybody. Welcome to BeautyCast Network's Mastering Beauty, a podcast for beauty, barbering, and wellness professionals looking for successful, sustainable, and satisfying careers. Tune in every Sunday to hear conversations with brilliant professionals from across the industry offering their best advice on a variety of topics. I'm Gord Miller, CEO of BeautyCast Network and your podcast host. And today's guest is a celebrity hairstylist who's worked with many high-profile clients, including high-profile clients like Vivica Fox, Tony Braxton, like I'm a massive Tony Braxton fan even to this day. So I'm I'm extremely impressed. He's also an independent educator as well as a brand ambassador and educator for Moroccan Oil. He's got over 20 years of experience under his belt, and he has just now become a salon owner. Excited to talk about that. Welcome to the podcast. A good friend, somebody I've had on the podcast before, Greg Gilmore. Hey, what's going on? Good, real good. <laughs> We've had great conversations, especially with the other podcast. So I'm actually excited to be on the podcast today with you. When I and I hope people will, will Google the other podcast. So I've I've got like 400 episodes out there, uh, most of them with Hairbrain Conversations, where you have been a guest. And so just Google Hairbrain Conversations and Greg Gilmore, and go back and listen to some really really great conversations, especially about the the beginning of your career and overcoming struggles, and a really really great conversation. So ex- excited to have you here today. So before we get started, um, salon, you know. Um, <laughs> So modern heritage. So uh, give us a short version of, um, yeah, what are you doing? Well, modern heritage is a salon sanctuary. It's just a place where, you know, professional women can come, relax, uh, take a load off and just, you know, uh, have service. And uh, I wanted to do something that was a little bit more elevated. um, And I wanted to do go back to like that open floor. I missed those days where, you know, we had the open floor and we had the camaraderie and we were able to share information with each other and learn from each other and um, watch techniques. A lot of times, you know, especially when you're starting off in the business, you learn mostly from just watching other stylists. Um, And you don't really have an opportunity to do that when you're in suites or you're individualized like that and closed off. And so I had a suite probably the last seven years. And of course, I'm a little bit more established. I was established when I first got into a suite. Mm -hmm. So I had a pretty large um, clientele. But what I found from working in those lofts or suites, whatever, that they still can be small in terms of having to rush through clients just to appropriate the space for the clients that are Mm -hmm. coming after her. Good point. Um, Having to, you know, satisfy so many different heads that are like right there directly in your face. Mm -hmm. You know, you got two or three waiting and then you got maybe one in the hallway or you have a few more that's coming later. Um, And just the space I don't feel is appropriated correctly, especially for the amount that you pay for that space. You know, suites are, are a great option for many, but I, it's important what you just brought up, I spe- it's, especially what, you know, people thinking about making a move. They're probably the salon space that costs the most across the entire industry when it comes to um, per square feet of rent. Definitely. <laughs> and um, I just figured that it would be a nice idea to go back to open floor, have more of a community of stylists that have a home, um, a sanctuary that can you know, escape, even as a stylist, you want to go somewhere and work that you feel comfortable and you feel, um, you know, at home, it feels at home because we spend, I feel most 
of our life in the salon versus at home. You know, so you want to make sure that it, it's a pleasing space. So that's what the initiative for Modern Heritage is. And um, it's just taking it back to the traditional ways that salons um, usually are run. Um, but it'll have a it'll have an elevated um, aesthetic and a evolutionary vibe, meaning that it's not going to be a traditional commission mm-hmm, based mm-hmm. salon. Yep. It's, and it's not just going to be your traditional booth room salon. Uh, I will have probably one or two stations where I'd like to, you know, work with some permanent stylists. But the other stations will be open for day rate stylists, people who work on set, people who are um, just traveling in, they need a place to work, they have a few clients. Social media has opened up this whole new pathway for people to connect. So you can connect with stylists that might be stationed in Atlanta. And then if they have spaces where they can come, then they can, you know, rent two days or maybe just a week in Los Angeles. And they'll have a really beautiful, aesthetically pleasing sanctuary-ish salon (laughs) (laughs) to work from. And especially if they have high profile clients, you want to make sure that those clients are also comfortable. So that's what I've been working on. I love it. And it's, it is so L.A. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, is so, it is so L.A. I, I just love that. All right. Well, let's get started here with the first question I love to ask everybody, which is, you know, again, you've had a long career and I'm sure you have gotten all kinds of advice, you know, from before you ever started, you know, up until today. So if you're going to just you know, take one piece of advice that somebody else gave to you um, to share with our audience, what might that be? Mm, I know. I, I think we had a similar question like that on one of our older um, podcasts that we did. And I, I talked about value. You know, one time I was in a salon and I was, you know, complaining about not receiving enough walk-ins and thinking that it was the salon's fault, lightweight, and just kind of said, you know, kind of hinting at that. And the uh, owner, her name was Jackie Montero, and she had said, um, you looking to see about what this salon can give to you. You need to be worried about what you can do for the salon. Mm-hmm. Because if you leave today, you think, will you be missed? And that's a question I always ask myself because it's about, do you, are you bringing value to the spaces mm-hmm. that you're entering? Mm-hmm. You know, are you um, worth the time or effort for someone making you know, a space available for you. And um, do you add to the atmosphere? Do you add to um, the salon, its integrity, uh, its skill set of stylists? You know, are you working hard to be a great stylist that add value to being at the salon? You know, so those are the types of things that I usually still tell up and coming cosmetologists because those types of values of integrity and that kind of thing they sometimes can get lost in translation over the years. And so we see more of a generation now that is more in tune with, um, you know, what someone else can bring to them, be, being highlighted, being the star, um, being, you know, their own boss very early where, you know, some things just take time. It's nothing wrong with waiting your turn. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with waiting for the meal to be prepared. <laughs> you don't want to always microwave everything. 
Sometimes <laughs> you just want a nice home cooked meal. I love and that. isn't it so doesn't it taste so much better? You know, a home cooked meal versus anything, any fast food. You know, so it's the same principles that apply, I feel like, with your career and with um, being patient as you grow, just even as a human being, mm-hmm. you know, so that's the best advice I think that I have. And when I first moved to Los Angeles, I had went into Kim Kimball Salon. I was going to work there. I had an interview. She's amazing. She is. She's very amazing. And um, she, her, she heard her manager at the time was uh, just kind of, you know, filling me out and I didn't have a model. So we had to reschedule. Terry Hunt was there. He was working there and uh, Dante Savoy, he was also working there. And so as I left, because I was new, I just asked Terry, I said, so what advice would you give somebody that's up and coming? You know, I've been doing here for a little while, but uh, I'm here. I'm new to LA. What advice would you give like an up and coming stylist? And so Terry said, well, just uh, stay in your lane. If Mm. you stay in your lane, then you'll be fine. When you try to go all over the the road and you're doing all this and doing all that, that's when you mess up. That's when you crash. And And so what I think about that in the hindsight of, you know, receiving that advice is uh, I have been able to do very well because I have stayed in my lane. And my lane, just like anyone else's lane, is the lane that I'm passionate about, Mm. the lane that I really enjoy and that I give the most value in. You know, when I try to go into another lane just because it's trendy or just because while I'm here, everyone's doing that. So maybe I should get on that boat. um, That's when, you know, I feel like I, I missed the mark or. Um, I'm not seen for my true value. I'm underappreciated, you know? And so I'm, you go where the love is. And if you, if your lane is cuts and color, like my lane is cuts and color, I excel there. That's where I like to be. I'm not going to go over to, you know, microlinks. That's not my thing, you know? And so, but it could be someone else's. And it's interesting today, you know, so many people I talk to are like, you know, people coming into the industry or, and, and those who've been in it for a while, everybody wants to be, you know, quote unquote, their own boss. And, you know, that, that's a long story. But for me, when I talk to so many young people, more of them, I think, want to be educators. Like so many people today, you know, they just, they can't wait to go out and be on a platform, you know, uh, to be in, a, in front of a classroom and, and nothing wrong with, with either of those choices. But let's talk about being an educator for a moment, because that's, again, a whole different lane. And you kind of got to find your way into that lane, um, you, you know, doing the work every day in the salon and then doing education. So talk about how, what does it take? Like, what's the foundational stuff? If you're going to give advice on what does it take to be an educator over time? Well, you know, I think that there's a difference between, and this is my own opinion, but there's a difference between being an educator and then also being a platform artist. Platform artists, I think, and, and I'm, I guess I'm that too, but platform artists give great, amazing um, co-offs of hair that are somewhat otherworldly or maybe in a sense won't be your everyday girl hairstyle. And so there's a, 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 a type of imagination and strategy you need to have, I think, even just inherently 
to create those kind of um, things that are so fleeting. The fleeting aren't. They can't stay. And so um, it's a spontaneous art as well. So you're in the moment. And so those things, I don't think, require so much of your, you know, uh, mental capacity as far as talking about each step that you're doing to craft that out. When you're just doing that and presenting that and you say a few words, that's just a beautiful platform artistry. Uh, However, when you're an educator, educators have a unique ability to connect with the audience on a personal level. And they're able to, through that connection, share information that if they're good, the audience will retain. And the um, practice of educating comes from the ability to think about what you're doing simultaneously with describing what you're doing um, and uh, in a contorted sometimes way with your body angles uh, to also have the audience see what you're doing. Um, so there's a lot of thought. There's a lot of um, a lot of uh, strategy in that as well. It's a lot of um, uh, just orchestrating because there's pre-planning. You know, you have steps, you have a curriculum, you have an opening a middle, an end, you know, you're probably on the stage much longer than a, a platform artist. Uh, you could be on the stage for an hour or more a lot of times. And then when you do individual classes or academy classes, you're pretty much with a group all day teaching from nine to five, you know, so it's, it's different um, depending on, you know, the perspective of the person. I think most people who are younger like the idea of being an educator because they see the educator in all their glory um, being praised by so many in the industry about how talented they are and how much they've helped so many cosmetologists. Um, And then sometimes they get that confused also with platform artists who do creative work um, on stage, so beautiful and for print, but they still get praised just as much praise, you know? So I think it's about differentiating the two. And um, when I first started, I was scared to death of public speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are. Ex- yep. Right, right. I think it was. It's, it's like studies show that it's like one of the most frightening things for for humans. Yep. Public speaking, something yep. like that. It's number one. So, it's number one. It's number one. Wow. Yep. Yep. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's so funny because I've, I've done it so many times. I, you know, I can get a little nervous, but not stage fright. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, I think that when you like for me, I became good with, as an educator when I started to work more on myself, when I started to have more confidence in myself and my abilities and who I was as a person. That gave me more confidence to step onto a stage because then when you know yourself, when you're confident in yourself, you love yourself. It's not about really what everyone thinks. Um, it's about the information that you're giving them. Um, and if they, you know, if it's true or not, they'll retain it. But most times you're scared because you're thinking that it's about you. You know, and so then you kind of get lost in that and you trip and fall and you stumble and you're shaking and, you know, maybe you didn't do the best class that day. But it takes practice. Um, and, and, and that practice includes a portion of working on yourself day after day, becoming more confident in your skill and your in yourself 
day after day, which comes with practicing all the time. And then speaking, you know, that practice of speaking um, and articulating your thoughts in a, in a way that is also creative, but is also um, easily digestible for people, the minds that are in um, the audience. If you think about being a hairdresser behind the chair, just period. A big part of being a hairdresser behind the chair successfully is educating your clients. And there's a there's things to learn about how to do that one-on-one, right? In conversation, in consultation, but, but there's an education to that. Then if you get to that point where you go, ooh, I want to, I want to educate my fellow professionals. Well, then you gotta, A, you gotta learn the craft, right? You have to have that understanding to explain all that uh, theory and technical stuff, you know, as well as be able to show it. And then you go to the next level, which is the platform. And so people kind of know the math, you know, there's like 850,000 working hairdressers in America today. Um, There's about 30,000 educators in the industry who teach those 800 and some thousand working for brands. You know, I'm not even counting beauty school instructors. I'm just counting all the people who work for brands, who work for distributors, who are independents, you know, that's a lot of educators. And then you go up to the next level and that's platform artistry. And when you think about that, there's probably a few hundred, you know, who are really, you know, on those platforms out of that 850,000, out of that, you know, tens of thousands of educators. When I think about my, when I look at a platform artist, I think that's an educator who has one other kind of attribute, you know, that, that makes them unique perhaps. And that's the ability to not only do that creative work that you mentioned that is so fleeting, but also to perform, you're, you're performing. There's a, there's a different, it's just taking being in front of a group of people to a different level, you know, everything from how you appear, you know, um, physically, you know, the clothes that people wear as artists on platform tend to be a little bit sometimes different than what they might wear in the classroom, not always. Um, and then just how you present yourself, the energy on stage, which has, is a little different than if you're in a room doing a hands-on workshop with 20 people. So. You want to get your take on all that? Yeah, I think it's very true. Um, I know that, you know, seeing the platform artists on stage and how they cared themselves, how they showed up um, was inspiring to me. The hair has always been great. You know, it's like, wow, that's so beautiful. But I was probably always more mesmerized at the actual platform artist because they usually had some kind of look to them that was, you know, they look like something you aspire to be, you aspire to, to um, emulate. And um, I remember when I went to classes when I was younger and first, you know, getting into hair and that kind of thing, I just marveled at the educator, marveled at the platform artists at a show. Like, wow, they get up there in front of those people and cutting that hair and look so polished and clean and well put together and their hair looks great, you know. And there's a thing about cosmetologists or, you know, hair artists, um, because their hair is always very reflective of themselves as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they often have some kind of otherworldly look to their hair to let you know that they're a hairstylist. I think um, an old school stylist one time when I was on the plane, I met, and she's really beautiful personality, um, has said, uh, you want to be hairstylist hip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I said, okay, that is it, ain't it? Because... <laughs> 
because um you know there's not necessarily like a word for that yeah you know yeah, yeah. but it's hairstylist hip and it just means that you look like a stylist but your fashion it's fashionable but not in the sense of like the fashion industry it's fashionable because it has a quirk to it it has something that is maybe genius to it or something that is a little bit more um a little bit more of the mind like you you've thought about that it's tasteful um that's different you know so it's not commercial it's not your everyday even in fashion they wear stuff that you know anybody would maybe look good in or something like that but hairstylists wear fashionable clothes that make them stand out in a way that you notice them differently something else that you're really passionate about that you know follow you on social media and everybody should follow greg you know it's greg underscore gilmore um and and um but that is you have and i don't know if this was always part of you i i picked up on it i don't know if it was during pandemic or maybe pre-pandemic and that is your interest in taking care of yourself physically and you know we we talk about this is a hard industry you know on the body it just is so many people leave because their bodies don't you know hold up and things just break down and those who pay attention to their body, who take care of their bodies, I think have the potential to have a much longer career. And then going to what we just talked about, and I don't think people understand how much physical work there is and, and how also it can be kind of rough on all parts of your mind and your body being an educator is, or, you know, I see you guys at shows and, you know, I'll, I'll bump into you all at, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. And you're like, oh, we've been up since four, you know, getting, getting, yeah. the, show, getting the show prepped. And, going on stage multiple times a day and being in, with all, around all that energy. So talk for a moment about, you know, your thoughts about that, because you are focused on, you know, your fitness and, and your, your physical health as well as your mental health. Well, I think that over time, when you're young, you don't think about those things because you have so much vibrancy, have so much health. Um, your body is still agile and fresh and, and new. So you can move around, you can work yourself to death and still get up and do it all again. And, you know, that kind of thing. But as you start to get older, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not old, I'm 37, but You're as a baby. you start to get, okay, I know, I just have an old soul. But as you start to get and climb into those like 30s and things like that, you start to feel, you know, differently. You start to feel um, and not only just physically, but mentally, too, there's certain things that aren't as, as important to you anymore. And um, there are other things that look so boring when you're in your 20s that are more interesting now because you want to be vibrant. You want to be able to last longer years. You want to be able to continue to be your passion. And so um, I think that it's just important to start early um, so that you can get into the rhythm and pace of already having that as a practice because you know if you try to start something like that when you're older it's much more difficult your body's not used to incorporating those kind of things and the things that i incorporate are just what you would know to have as the basics you want to have regular exercise you want to have a, a healthy diet if at all possible um and you want to Create an environment at home and at work that is peaceful, has balance, so that you can have balance in your mind. And if you don't have balance at home, like through organization, um, through knowing where things are, and through just cleanliness, then you tend to have this disruption and chaos in your mind as well. And people don't usually correlate the two, but it's very true because 
you you know that feeling you have when the house is clean mm-hmm. and it, maybe it hadn't been clean for a little second because you've been busy, but mm-hmm. it's all clean. Isn't yeah. it? It's just such a peaceful feeling. I love so it. You want to always create that for yourself. And you create that also by having accomplished a workout that day. You know, once you, I like to start it in the morning because um, once I'm finished with the first workout, I've already accomplished something for the day. And so that just gives you a feeling of, of greatness, you know, that you are somebody that gets jobs done, that does, does things right. Um, and you want to stay in that zone to um, stay confident in yourself, stay confident in your skill. Um, and, and when you always vibrate that way, then uh, people will address you as that and they won't uh, take you for granted. And, and if they do, you have the confidence through what you know that you do for yourself all the time to not be treated in, in, in ways that aren't appropriate. You know, so it, it kind of permeates all throughout your being when you start to put those other things in practice and it comes out in your hair, your work. Because the discipline there, discipline at home is discipline at work as well. And when you have discipline at work, then, of course, your your skill and your talent, it has no choice but to evolve and become better, more excellent because of the practice and the thought behind what you're trying to do comes from a different place than a place of, oh, I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm not doing well. Oh, my house is a mess. Oh, life is a you know, and so then your hair, that hair that day, it's probably going to be ugh, too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't want I, that if you want I, to continue to have a good career. I, I, I hear you. Connected to that or maybe alongside of that, you know, is, is the idea of, of the people that we surround ourselves with. And I would say for a person who's been in it for a while, also the brands we connect because, you know, people are connected to brands in this industry. And you've associated yourself with Moroccan oil. You're a brand ambassador. You're an educator. Um, the um, yeah, that's a choice that you made. It works both directions. You know, the brand chose you. You chose the brand. You know, but but talk for a moment about that idea of of making that kind of choice. And you know, um, and um, yeah, what what does working with a brand like Moroccan oil bring to your life and and to your career? Well, I think brands are they're great. In the sense that they are an aid for an artist, you know, you have your, you have the artist, you have the canvas, and you have the supplies, that supplies, tools, whatever, crafts, and the brands are the supply. The brands are the middle person. They allow you to do the work you need to do for the client. And so, when you align yourself with a brand, you have to think too. Does the brand provide the type of artistry that I do? You know, are they um, excellent at, you know, in my case, color, you know? And so Moroccan oil was mainly just styling products uh, before they launched the color brand. The color or the color portfolio came out. That's when they brought me in and they had watched me over the years um, presenting for other brands and representing other brands. They liked how I, you know, delivered education and, and my skill set. So it was a, a, a partnership that just really made sense. I say a rule of thumb to gauge a lot of times is if something is right for you or not, if it's an offer, you can't refuse. You know, it's just a lot of things. Everything just adds up. 
um, okay, you do color. Okay. The color is new. Okay. I get to um, help launch that with you. Wow. That's great. Um, pay is good. Oh, that's nice too. Um, <laughs> I'll be able to um, be highlighted. Oh, great. I'll still be able to get on stages. Oh, that's lovely. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. everything works out. And it's not, you, you know, something's a little off if you got to keep pushing. You know, it's just like, oh, can we do that? Can we do that? Oh, I know this is how y'all do things. But for this time, can we? You know, and it's like brands are brands and they grow because they've stayed true to a mission statement. They've stayed true to, you know, what the core reasons why of their brand is. And you can decide if a brand is good for you or not based on what their missions are and based on what they, how they see here and what they're trying to do in the industry for their consumer. I know with Moroccan Oil, one of the main premises was the woman, highlighting the woman, helping her. Um, to be her best self. Um, Moroccan oil also has an aesthetic that speaks to a sophisticated woman, um, a woman who's more classy. Um, she's chic. She's effortlessly beautiful. Um, and she cares about herself. She cares about her hair. And um, so when you see Moroccan oil on stage, you see Moroccan oil doing anything, you'll notice that that's a constant theme that runs throughout all of the brand. It runs throughout the digital content. It runs throughout the website. It runs throughout the educators that they choose to work with. Um, all of them have this kind of sense of classiness. And then all the hair that you would see from Rock and Oil, it's very beautiful, sophisticated, you know, your everyday salon, elevated salon, high-end aesthetic. It's a uh, polished, finished nicely, and it's, it's uh, ready to wear, ready to wear hair. And that's what, that's what I'm about. You know, I have always kind of seen myself more of a salon artist. A lot of hair artists are hair art. You put cosmetologists in the category of hair artists when you see most of their work is very whole couture or extravagant or, you know, they co-opt for the photo shoot. You know, then they're a hair artist. However, they're salon artists because the intricacies of how color needs to be placed on a client's hair for it to look effortless or for it to look sun-kissed and that was a natural occurrence, that's a lot of thought and skill and consideration. And um, being able to manage that as well as having interpersonal connection abilities where you're making the client feel comfortable, you're able to deal with someone who's a little nervous and anxious about getting something done. You have what salon um, artists know as a problem client that you have to be gentle with and be calming with. So it's a level of, um, you know, executing something so well on a, a client, but also being able to have the care that's required for them to wear that hair correctly because sometimes if they don't have that kind of care and you just give them what they want they might be um, outside and the hair is wearing them they're not wearing their you know and everyone knows that that's not them and they're uncomfortable and so it doesn't shine as much as it should but if you have had that interpersonal connection and you've uh, crafted out this style and also uh, prepared the canvas 
to wear it, then it's going to be seen in daylight as our art usually is walking around the world um, in the correct way, with the correct attitude, with the uh, correct appreciation. And Moroccan, you know, like you say, it's, 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 a, it's just a level of excellence in, in everything that they do um, that allows that to happen, you know, by way of product, by way of education. I mean, the Moroccan oil, last time I saw you in person, was it the Moroccan oil? No, actually, I, I saw you at a show. But prior to that, I saw you at the Moroccan. Yeah. And I saw, but I saw you at the Moroccan oil Academy in New York before that. It's, I, I think it's right. the most beautiful academy in the industry today. And it it's, just, it's just an amazing place. And I will be there actually in August doing a, a, a oh, business. Class. Yeah, I'll be there doing a business class end of August, and oh then I also I'm also going to see you in Las Vegas at the Moroccan Oil Collective, right, the collective. collective yeah. which is their first big symposium, and I know that's going to be like first class all the way. It's just going to be one of these elevated events that only Moroccan Oil kind of does. So I'm excited to, to see that as well. And we're gonna have to wrap up, you know, because we we're a little bit over on time. So uh, oh, wow. I, I know that that went that went really fast, Greg. You know, so but, it did, it did. but let me say, you know, a huge thank you to you know a brilliant educator, artist, celebrity, stylist, you know, Moroccan brand ambassador, and now the owner of the Modern Heritage Salon in L.A., Greg Gilmore. Thanks for so much for being our guest today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, oh, always. And everybody listening, be sure to follow Greg over on Instagram. It's Greg underscore Gilmore um, on Instagram. And then uh, website, greggilmorehair.com. And um, yeah, if you, if, if you like what you heard today, I encourage you to leave a rating or review, hit the subscribe button, and best yet, uh, share it with a colleague to pay it forward, help others to find the podcast. This has been Mastering Beauty from the Beautycast Network. And um, again, I'm your host, Gordon Miller. I hope you tune in every Sunday to hear new episodes. And um, yeah, can't wait to share more with you again next time.